This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Parsha is Parsha's Vayera, but before um, before I get to Parsha's Vayera, this week was Rachel Imenu's yard site. It was Monday night, Tuesday, I believe. Yes, it was Monday night, Tuesday. So, in the Tzchus of Rachel Imenu, I'd like to first read a medrash about Rachel Imenu that. If you're going to look it up, it's in the Medrash of Eicha and Pesichta Chavdalid. A very, very, I feel a very important, um, a very important Medrash Rabbah for all of us. And it, I think that, you know, um, one of the things that I talk about a lot is that the Torah that was given to us, um, was, is a living Torah. I had a very big, which we'll talk about tonight, a very big, Discussion. I'll say discussion. Um, I'll I'll say that in Um I had a very big discussion um, this week in my office. We had a very big discussion about how to bring up children and discipline, and if you're ever a parent's ever allowed to hit a child, and we had a very long discussion, which I'll which I'll talk a little bit about um, today. And many times that I have said things to principal to people in chinuch. Um, the answer that I got was that those were different, those were different days. The Torah was different days. And there's a book that just came out, I don't know if any of you have read it, by Rabbi Vigda Miller, um, about the Holocaust. And, um, he, he wrote this book, but he never ever published it. Um, they, they published it only after he died. And he, he made, it's like making an excuse for Hashem, why Hashem, did the Holocaust. Whoever reads it, it's absolutely amazing. People who went through the Holocaust are not so happy with this book because they're not really interested in giving reasons after all their tragedy. But it's very fascinating. And he writes about the whole Haskalah, Enlightenment, Reform Judaism, and, you know, what was going on in assimilation, what was going on before the Holocaust, and that had there not been a Holocaust, there would be no Jewish nation today. Um, it, it's, it's a must read. It's a must read. It's, uh, it's by, it just came out by Rabbi Vigda Miller. And, um, one of the things that the Haskalah, that, that this whole conservative, this whole reform movement that was going on in Europe, uh, one of the things that it was all about was that, that the Torah is, is written for those, thank you, for, for those, for that generation, but it's not, it's not for us in this generation. And I think it's a very dangerous thing to say because I believe that the Torah was written for, forever. It's not a, it's not a safer, a, a book about life in the old days. It's a, it's a book about life altogether. So, one of the subjects they talk about is, um, there was a school and they, they took a, b- a bunch of girls and they took them to Lakewood and they, uh, they were 12th graders and they were talking about Kailel and, um, these Kailel women in Lakewood got up and spoke to the girls and the girls came to them and they said, like, I don't understand that the, the, the house of the girl that spoke to us, she's very, her father's very rich and she has two cars and a beautiful house. So like, Koyal life is supposed to be Rasiras Nefesh, why is she giving us the whole speech? But what hurt me in, in the speech that they, these Koyal women were giving was that um, they were pretty much saying that a person who works uh, a balabas, right, is like the wrong derech. And, and most of the, and all these girls have fathers that work. So, so they came home very upset, like, she's talking about my father. Like, my father's just as good, you know, he, he, he goes to shear at five o'clock in the morning, he comes home, he sits and learns. Anytime he has off, he doesn't have Ben Hasmanim, you know, he doesn't have, 
he goes to that same shir every single day, even when the whole Chodesh El, the whole, the whole Chodesh Tishrei, and Cholomoy Pesach, and I don't understand, you know, guys in Yeshiva have off a month, my father doesn't take off an hour, every single day he goes to a shir. So it was a, it was a whole tumult, these girls came to me, it was a whole very big tumult. And, and I said to them, I said that, Moshe Rabbeinu was a shepherd. He worked. And Abraham Avinu was a shepherd. And, um, the, 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 the Shvatim, when, when Yaakov sent the Shvatim, he sent them to get the Shvatim, they were, they were, they were shepherds, they had sheep. Talbot Amelech was a shepherd. Um, Yaakov Avinu said that I worked for Lovin at night in the cold and during the day he was a shepherd. So you, you, you so they, they learned Torah, of course they were Kaddish and they learned Torah, but they also worked. So I'm not saying that not working is the wrong way, don't get me wrong, but you can't, you can't ra- you can't, you can't, Say not nice things about people who are working and learning because our of us have a saying that we're, we're shepherds, and 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 the answer I got was you can't talk like that, Rabbi Wallstein, because that was then and this is now. I'm like, what well, Moshe Rabbeinu was then, and that it, like this Torah is like, so no, but now it's much worse times. So it's much worse times. So you have to learn. That's the only way to do it. And I'm like Moshe Rabbeinu lived in the times of Vaydizara. And, and they all lived in this, those, those were terrible times. They were, most of the world didn't believe in God. So, so, I'm not saying the color life is wrong. Color life is right for the people who take it very seriously. But you can't say that the people who work are, are not doing the right thing. Everybody has to know what they can do and what they can't do. So I, I find it very dangerous to say that, you know, um, that the Torah was, you know, in the old times. And, and the reason I'm telling you that there's a very interesting Medjish Rabbah when it comes to bringing up kids, which I'm going to read to you tonight, which was very, very discounted, that that Medrash Rabbah was for the old days and isn't for today. And Torah is for, Torah is forever. So, I, I think it's very important to understand Rachel Imenu. Now, I, most of us come from school, and Rachel Imenu was a big Sadekista, she was, an amazing woman, and that she gave over the sign to her sister, that she was willing to give over the sign, Wow, like, look, 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 she wasn't jealous, and she had, you know, she was, she gave up the sign that she was supposed to be the first one to marry Yaakov Avinu, and she's amazing, and Sadek is still, so nobody in this room can ever be a Rachli Menu, because we're not on that level, we're not on Rachli Menu's level, we can never do such a thing, so people pretty much give up, well, I can't be Rachel, I can't be Sari Menu, I can't be one of the most, and if you really look at the Medrash, which I'm going to read to you, she had the same struggle that all of us have. So let's take a look at the, let's take a look at the measure. So it says the following. So when, when the Beis Hamidrash was being destroyed and Kleisro was going into Golis, so Abraham Avinu came in front of Hashem. He was born in front of Hashem and he tried to talk to Hashem that he, Hashem shouldn't do it. And he spoke about that, uh, everything that he did and he was willing to give up his life for Hashem and it didn't help. In the end, it didn't help. So Yitzhak Avinu came and he said, I was the, I was in the, in the Akedas Yitzchak, and look what I was willing to do, you have to save my children, it didn't work. And Yaakov got up and said, I was by Lavon, and I, I brought up my, my Shvatim, and I went through with Yosef at Tzadik, and you have to have pity on, on my children, and it didn't work. And Moshe Rabbeinu got up and he said, wasn't I a shepherd? Didn't I take care of them? Didn't I stand up for them? And it didn't work. So, the Medjah says the following. But Isis Shah, at that moment, Kapsa Rachli Menu, Rachli Menu jumped up. This is Eli Nishmas Rachli Menu. Rachli Menu jumped up with Nekash Baruch in front of Nekash Baruch Hu, and she said, So now, Rachli Menu was coming in front of Hashem to try to save Kleisro from being destroyed. 
So what does she say? Hashem. It is open in front of you. It's not a secret. She Yaakov Avdecha, that Yaakov, your servant, or Havani Ahava Yisera. Hashem, you know that Yaakov Avinu loved me very much. And he worked for me, La'aba, for my father, Sheva Shanim, for seven years. Ukehishlimo, Oisei Sheva Shanim. And after those seven years, he finished working for, for my father. And it came time for me to marry Yaakov. My father advised me that he's going to switch me, right, from, from, to my husband. So my father came to me and said, listen, you're not marrying Yaakov Avinu. We're going to make a switch. Now in our heads, and for her sister not to be embarrassed, it was easy. No. And this is what she's telling Hashem. So she's talking to Hashem and she's telling Hashem, you know Yaakov Avinu loved me very much. You know that he worked for me for seven years. Now listen to what she tells Hashem. And Hashem, you know this was very hard for me. It was very hard for me to allow my sister to make this switch because, because I wanted to marry him. So you knew it was very hard for me. Not it wasn't hard for her. It was, it was very hard for me. Because I knew that my father was going to make a switch. So I gave Yaakov a sign that he would know the difference between me and my sister. Then order that my father should not be able to switch me. Now listen to what she says. So, I really didn't want to give Leah the secret code. Ula'acha came, but I thought about it. Nichamti ba'atzmi. I consoled myself. I, I worked on myself. She's telling Hashem, you know, I worked on myself. Misavati is tavasi. I controlled my lust. Virichamti alachaisi. And I had pity on my sister. Shalaitei tzelecherpa that ule erev chilk, and that she shouldn't be embarrassed. Ule erev chilkil alachaisi labali bishvili. And therefore I allowed, I, I allowed them to switch me. And I gave my sister all the secret codes. So Rachel Yimeinu was telling HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know how much Yaakov loved me, and you know that I didn't want to do this. And that I worked on myself. And that I controlled myself. And that I found Rachmanis in myself for my sister. And I gave my sister the secret code so that my husband would think that Leah was Rachel. Below owed, not just that. Hashem, I went underneath the bed. Where Yaakov Levina was with my sister Leah. And he was talking, Yaakov Levina was talking to her, Leah. And she kept quiet. And I answered from underneath the bed, I'll call Gavar on anything he asked her. So he wouldn't recognize my sister's voice. And I had pity on her. 
I wasn't jealous of her. And I didn't cause her to be embarrassed. Surely I am a human being. I am dust. I was not jealous of my tzara. And I didn't let her be embarrassed. And you, your God, Right? She said to Hashem, I'm not jealous. I'm a human being and I'm not jealous of my sister and you're God and you're jealous that the Jews are bowing down to sticks and stones? Hashem, what's going on over here? How could you be angry at them? How could you be jealous if I wasn't jealous? You would think Hashem would be angry. Talk to God that way, chutzpah. So Hashem said... Because you, I didn't listen to Avram, I didn't listen to Yaakov, I didn't listen to Moshe. But you, I will listen to. Because she was honest, and she said how she felt, and she was still willing to give up for her sister, and she's a human being, so surely HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to give. So if a person, what we, we, we have to learn for Rachel Yimena, that even though it's a struggle, and sometimes we get insulted, and sometimes we get hurt, Right? But if you're able to overcome that, if you're able to overcome that, then you have the power more than Abraham Yitzhak Yaakov and Moshe Rabbeinu had. Because you have the power, if you forgive someone who hurt you, to say to Hashem, I, I'm a human being, she insulted me in public. I didn't answer her, and I forgave her. Because you're your God, so I did something to you that was wrong. But you see that I was able to find in myself a place to forgive her, forgiveness. So you have to find forgiveness. And you're able to force Hashem to forgive you. And that's what we need to, to learn from, from Rachel Yimeno. Okay. So she should be talking to and there were hundreds of thousands of people by her kever and, and her, she should be a schus for Gans Israel. Okay. Now I want to go to a little bit to what I was talking about in Pasha's, in Pasha's Vayera. So, so before we get to Vayera, I want to talk about this little discussion, um, that I had. So the discussion was, so there, there was a, uh, an article that was written in, I think it was in the Atet, I'm not sure which, and I don't usually read this stuff, but I decided this Shabbos, I was away for Shabbos, to read this article, and there were a lot of letters to the editor on it. Some Rav wrote that children are off the derech in our generation because the parents are not nice. He used the word nice. Parents are not nice, and teachers are not nice, and because they're not nice, that's why children go off the derech. He didn't, he didn't write, because sometimes children are not nice. It's just the parents that are not nice, and the rabbi are not nice. So, people are writing back and forth, back and forth. So this whole discussion came to the table um, in my office. And I said that um, the Torah is not based on nice. Nice is a very interesting word. If, if someone dislocates their shoulder, they're in a lot of pain. And, you know, there's a certain maneuver that you make with the shoulder to pop it back in. And to do that maneuver, it hurts very, 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 very much. But once you do it, the, the arm gets popped in and that's it. The person walks away and they're, they're back to normal. So sometimes you have to be not nice and you have to pop it back in even though it hurts. And sometimes the dentist has to be not nice and do a root canal. But that saves the tooth. So not always does nice is the right answer. And I said that, you know, there, there are consequences in the Torah that are not so nice. The Abed Mises Bezdin, you know, stoning and, and, and hereg and, and killing and burning and all these different things, they're not nice. And, and Gehenna is, is not nice. So, so sometimes the consequences in life are not nice. And 
So we got somehow from that discussion into, are you ever allowed to hit a child? Now, today's therapeutic world and pretty much the whole world says you're never allowed to hit a child. And I said there are times that you are allowed to hit a child. Now, there's a lot of people that are going to be very angry, right? And they're not going to agree with me, which is fine. Um, I gave two examples. This is my opinion. I'm a Rebbe 36 years, and I could be, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying I'm right, but this is my opinion. If you have a child that's two years old and he runs into the street, right? So you don't beat, I'm not talking about beating up a child, but that child needs a little patch. That child needs to know that running into the street, right, causes pain. So if the two-year-old child runs into the street and he gets a patch, he understands that if I'm going to run into the street, my mom is going to patch me, so I'm not going to run into the street. Now, if you're going to be nice and you're going to sit down and you're going to talk to him, you could get hurt, a car could come. Two, three-year-old kid doesn't understand that. He only understands sometimes a patch. And God forbid, your kid's going to get hit by a car, there's going to be a lot more pain than a little patch on, on the kid's head or on his hand. So there are times, not a lot of times, there are times, sometimes, that you got to give your, your kid a little patch. And of course, I, there were girls in the room that were very anti that and saying, how could you do that? And there's being mechanism to get up today and say, and therapist, that you're never allowed to hit a kid. And I'm like, well, if my grandson ran into the street, I'd take his hand and I'd say, if you do that again, and I'd give him a little patch that he knows, street patch. <coughs> I can't afford just to talk to him about it. And if a 13-year-old kid, if I'm standing there and I'm a husband and he says a four-letter word to my wife, Right, and he curses my wife in front of me, I'm not going to give him room time or out time or whatever, recess time, I don't know exactly, put him in a room, but he's going to get a patch if he talks to his mother that way, you don't talk to your mother that way. So, we got into this huge argument. So I want to read you a Medrash Rabbah, because I I go by the Torah, and I want to read you a Medrash Rabbah that's um, in Pasha Shmos, if you want to read it, it's the first Medrash Rabbah in Pasha Shmos. And so, it says in Mishlei, a person who spears the rod hates his child. Right? Which is a little hard to understand. So, he says something here which is a little hard to understand. He says that when Yishma was going off to Derech, he didn't um, criticize him. Right? Uh, it could also mean hit him. It really means Malchus giving him a patch. And in the end... Yishmael went off to Derech, and, and we know what he became. And Sarah saw this, and she threw him out. So there seems to be a time that you do have to throw out a child. And Abraham Avinu said, no, we shouldn't throw out, you don't throw out a child. So they went to Hashem. And Hashem said, Avraham. Avraham was very upset. He said, I'm not throwing out my child. So Hashem said, don't get upset. Listen to your wife. And there is a time, sometimes, when the child is affecting, and he was affecting Yitzchak, when he's affecting other children, there's a child that he has to be sent out. And he says that, but when it came to, when it came to Yitzchak, Avram was very, very, very strict. And that's why Yitzchak turned out okay, and Yishmael didn't. The Medrash says. Then the Medrash says, Vayehav Yitzchak is Esav. Yitzchak loved Esav, and he let him do whatever he wanted. The light we do, who he didn't criticize him, he didn't hit him, he didn't punish him. In the end, he did every avera that you can imagine. And not only that, he couldn't wait till his father died. He said, when my father dies, I'll be able to take revenge on Yaakov. 
So all this love that, that, that Yitzchak gave to Esav ended up that Esav couldn't wait till, till Yitzchak died. But Yaakov, he was very, very hard. It says that Yitzchak gave him a lot of muster. And you see how Yaakov grew up. And he goes on and he talks about Avshalom and David and that David never, never gave Avshalom muster and he never gave him patch. And what happened? Avshalom tried to kill his own father. And thousands and thousands of people died because of Avshalom. But, and Adoni Yahu was the same thing, was David Amel's child. And he also didn't, right, give him any muster. And he also went off to Derech. And, and, and both these children went off to Derech. And, and Shlomo Amelech, who got whacked by his grandmother, um, I didn't find the Pasuk, but the, the story is that, not to say Chasushalom, Lashon Haran, Shlomo Amelech, but the day that the, um, that they opened up the Beis Hamigdash, Shlomo Melech woke up late. So it says that his mother, the Eim HaMalchus, tied him to a pole, took a ritzua, took a, a belt, and gave him patch. And Shlomo Melech said to her, thank you. And, the, and, and, and the, the, one of the Mepharshim said that it wasn't his mother, but it was his great-grandmother Rus, the Eim HaMalchus. And Rus said to him, this is what I gave everything up for, that I should have a, a grandson that in the morning of great, the Beis Hamigdash, he doesn't wake up. So, so one of the, the people that we were having this discussion, she went to her Rebbe, and she said, how do you, how do you, Rebbe Wallstein has this medrash, so how do you answer this medrash? According to this medrash, you gotta criticize your kids, and you sometimes, once in a while, you use the word we do, he has to get a patch, and this is what the medrash and Shmo said. And the Rebbe said, he quoted some other Rebbeim, and they said that, it's not for our times, this medrash. This medrash was for then, but for our times, this medrash is not, is discount, it's not for our times. I think it's a very dangerous thing to say. Because if this is not for our times, then this medrash is not for our times. And if this medrash is not for our times, then this Kumash is not for our times, and this Rashi is not for our times. So how do you decide what is for our times and what is not for our times? So the Rambam in, in, in Hilchus Talmud, in How to Bring Up Children, the Rambam says very clearly, hug them and hit them. Now, it doesn't mean you have to sit there and beat your kids. He's very specific that the first thing you have to do is hug them. You can't, you know, many times schools call me up and they're like, Rabbi Wallstein, we want you to, to, to come to our school and we want you to talk to our girls about Sneas. And I say, no, I'm not willing to do that. And they're like, we heard your tapes, why aren't you willing to do that? You talk to the Ornava girls about it. And I'm like, who am I to walk in? I don't know the girl. I don't have a relationship with the girl. And, and this guy's coming in here and he's telling me how to get dressed and my skirt and my this and my that. We don't have a relationship. You, you can't criticize someone unless they know that you love them, that you care about them. So if your children know that you love them, then you have a right to tell them when something's wrong. But just to come in and criticize people and tell them what's wrong with them, nobody has a right to do that. No one's going to listen to that. So when you're bringing up your children... Like I was talking to someone about it today, and he said that he gave, he he never hit his children more than once, the most twice. I said, "What what is that? Like, are you a not hitter? Are you a yes hitter? Like, what is that?" And he said, "I hit my children once, and after that, I didn't have to hit them anymore because my children don't want to ever get hit by me." I'm like, "Because it hurt?" He says, "No, because." My relationship with my children was that, God forbid, why would I do something that would cause my father to be so angry that he would hit me? In other words, it was, it was coming from a loving place. Like, 
I don't want to get my parent that upset that they're going to hit me. So, so, so the Rambam is very careful, not saying hit them and then love them. Tell, you know, in my days growing up, we got hit. Everybody got hit. So I remember once my father said to me, you should know. I'm sure some of you have heard this. You should know it hurts me more than you. Right? Don't you love hearing that when you get hit? Right? So I said to my father, Tati, I don't want you to hurt yourself. <laughs> Stop, I'm serious. Stop hurting yourself. It's, you know what I mean? Why should you hurt yourself if it hurts you more than, you know? So, but, but, but the truth is, if you have a, a good relationship, it does hurt. So, so, so the, the first thing that a person has to do, says the Ramah, is that your children need to know that you love them. If they know that you love them, then you have a right, then you have a right to tell somebody most of you. have a relationship, you have a right to say, listen, I care about you. If I care about you, so if I'm, if, if I know that someone cares about me, and they're telling me something, they're criticizing me, I know that the criticism is coming from a good place. If you don't have a relationship with me and you're criticizing me, then the, the criticism's coming from a bad place. It's all about you. It's not about me. You don't care about me. You just want to hear yourself talk and tell me how bad I am. But if I know that you love me, then I know it's about me. It's a very big difference. It's about you. I don't want to hear about it. If, if your criticism to me is about you, I don't want to hear it. But if your criticism is about me, then of course I want to hear it. How do I know it's about me if I have a relationship with you and I know that you care about me? If you don't care about me, then it's about you. I don't want to hear about you. I don't want to hear how angry you are, how angry you are at me. I want to hear how angry I should be at me for hurting myself. But I don't want to hear about you. It's not about you. If the criticism is about me, then I'm willing to grow and I'm willing to learn. So, tonight I have, we, have to have, we happen to have had PTA um, in, our, in our high school. And um, I, I repeated what I talk about all the time. I'm not going to repeat it tonight. Um, in Pasha Vayera, and, and the second look, I talk about the second look all the time, where Vayisa Enav, Avram Avinu lifted his eyes, Vayar, and he saw, there were these three men standing on him. Vayar, and he saw, Vayar was across them, he ran to meet them. So our famous question is, what do you mean he, why did he look twice, right? And if the first time he looked, they were standing on top of him or in front of him, then how could the second time he looked, he would have to run to meet them. If they're standing in front of him, he doesn't have to run to meet them. It should be, Vayar, he ran to meet them, and after he met them, they were standing in front of him. It should be the other way around. So, uh, we speak, we spoke about this, I'm not gonna go back into it, that, that, never go by the first look. And, and pretty much today's day and age, the styles and everything that we learn is about, is about the first look. And people say that, you know, you make your decision, and it's true, you make your decision on a person in the first nine, it's machlik, it's nine seconds or seven seconds. You, when you're dating, you meet, the guy comes to the door, you look at him, Within nine seconds, you know if you like him or you don't, if it's going to work, it's not going to work. And then after that, the next ten dates or the next ten meetings is to try to fix that picture that you first had when they first met the person. And we have that, it's natural. We have that because of things that are inborn, you know, um, a lot of the kids at risk, and a lot of kids that are going through things, they're, they're very into why are you judging me, why are you judging me. And, and I explained to them that they are also judging me. Everybody judges everybody. It's an automatic thing that, that if you were to anyone in this room, and I'm sure you all feel like you're very unjudgmental, right? You worked on yourselves, and you don't go by the first look. But anyone in this room who doesn't know Rabbi Wallerstein at all, and doesn't know Rabbi Friedman, who was just here with a nice beard, right? You don't know either one of us at all. And we're both standing in a room. And your friend says to you, oh my gosh, there's Rabbi Wallerstein. And there's a clean-shaven guy, and there's Rabbi Friedman with a long beard. And you don't know either one of us. The first thing you're going to think is, Rabbi, beard, hat, it's Friedman. And anyone who says it's not true, 
you're fooling yourself. Now, does that mean you're bad people and you're not understanding? No. In your head, rabbi, beard, black hat, white shirt, right? You would think Rabbi Freeman is the rabbi, not me. True or not true? Yeah. No. I'm not saying you know me. <laughs> saying you know me. I'm not saying you don't know me, but it's automatic, automatically, right? You walk onto a plane and they're like, oh, there's a pilot. And there's one guy in a Hawaiian flowered shirt and shorts. And there's another guy in uniform, right? You're going to think that the guy in the uniform is the pilot, even though you'll find out later that he's the head steward and the guy in the flower shirt, he's the pilot. But automatically, so there's certain things in our head that, that are inborn. If you see a girl walking down the street on Avenue J in a short skirt, you're automatically going to have a million different thoughts about, if she, especially if she's walking with her family and everyone else has a long skirt and her father has a beard, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's a girl that's off the derech, you know, and you're going to make, once she's off the derech, you're going to have all these decisions about her. Abraham Avino had the ability for the second vayar, because the first vayar is vihine needs of olav. The first vayar, the first time you look at something, you just see what it is. Vihine needs olav. It's standing in front of you. This is a girl in a short skirt. Period. That's all you see. If you have the ability to have the second look, it's, well, that short skirt is connected to a person. And that person is a basi thrall. And a basi thrall is a child of the melech. Which means that even if she's in a short skirt, she's a princess in a short skirt. And there's a lot of potential in that person. Instead of saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, look at her. Right? Or chas v'sholem, even a child that's smoking a cigarette on Shabbos. Right? There's a mechal of Shabbos, there's a busha, an embarrassment to cholesterol. It's not a good thing. Of course it's not a good thing. But the rabbi, the person, or the moral, the woman who can help that child is the one that sees Sir Rabbi Ronnie, Ronnie Greenwald, who's, who's an amazing man. He always had, we call it the third eye. He didn't see what the person is now. He saw the potential of the person. And I think that anyone who is a good parent and a good husband and a good wife and a good, a good mechanic is a person who has the third eye. Does not just see what's in front of them, but sees the future of what this person could be. Last night I was at a wedding, and um, whatever, this girl had struggles, and I remember many years ago, and the parents, the father called me up to make sure that I'm coming to the wedding, and he said to me, Reverend Wallstein, you know, of course, we want you at the chuppah, we want to give you a bracha. And I said, I don't want a bracha. He said, no, I know, I know, you don't want COVID, we want to give you a bracha. I'm like, no, 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 I like COVID. <laughs> he said, I don't like COVID, I like COVID, but I don't want a bracha. So he says, but I want something. He's like thinking, uh-oh, he wants Masada Kedushin, you know? I said, I said, I want to be a witness. I want to be an aide. Do you want to be an aide? I'm like, yeah. He says, but an aide doesn't say anything. Bracha, you get up in front of him, when you make a bracha, an aide doesn't say anything, he just sits there and he watches. I'm like, you're wrong. An aide says the most important thing. For me, it's the most important thing. So when the boy puts the ring on the girl's finger, the two witnesses say, Mikudeshas. That's what they say. The only those two, they say not to anyone else, they say Mikudesh. First of all, nobody realizes it, but the biggest covet is the aid, because the brachas are not ma'akib, they don't, if, 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 they, if for some reason you don't make the brachas, you forgot to make the brachas, they're married. But if there's no two witnesses, if he puts a ring on her finger and says, Hariyama Kudesh Libet Tabazu, and there's no witnesses, if a guy would go into a room with a girl and he puts a ring on, he says, Hariyama Kudesh Libet Tabazu, Kedaz Mosh, they're not married. 
Without two witnesses, you're not married. So the two witnesses are the most essential part of the marriage. So really, the biggest covet is is being a witness. But that's not what it's about. So I said, so the father said to me, why? Why is it so important? I said, because I always believed that even when I met this girl, your daughter, the first time, and she wasn't on the derech, but I always believed that she was holy. So now I, I'm able, after all these years, to be able to get up in front of 600 people and scream out loud, Mikudeshes, she is holy. And that's my dream. And, and, and you have to be able to see in a 14-year-old girl that's smoking on Javas, or that's in the street in a short skirt or wearing pants, you have to be able to see that one day we're going to have the ability to stand by that chuppah and say on this girl, Mikudeshes. You can only do that, girls, if you have the the second vayar. At the first vayar, you just see what you see in front of you. If you're able to see the second vayar, then all of a sudden, vayarach likrasam, it gives you the ability to run to meet them, to have a relationship with them. But if you only have that first eye, then, oh my gosh, look at this kid. He needs of all of, it's, it's on top of you. And there's a, a beautiful story. They're not willing to tell us who this great tzaddik is. I've heard this story more than once. It's written in this sefer called Aleinu L'Shabeach, which is um, an unbelievable sefer written by Rabbi Yitzhak Zilberstein. And um, you should you should buy this, because if you read this for Shabbos, you'll have so much to say at the table. He has all kinds of stories. And I love this story. I'm not going to tell you that I imagine being this kid, but I sort of do. Um, and the story goes as follows. And I'll read it to you from inside. And this is the most, like... I said it tonight, it's like every mechanic, anybody who deals with kids, right, needs to know this story. So the story is about a little boy who was in yeshiva, and I guess it was in Eretz Yisrael, because he's from Eretz Yisrael. And um, he was, I'll read you, I'll read you where he writes it. He says um, that the heads of the yeshiva began to fear that his classmates, and perhaps even the broader spectrum of the entire student body, were in danger of following in his ways. So he was a troublemaker. The teachers insisted that they could not cope with him any longer, and even the principal lost patience with the boy. They all waited for the appropriate moment in which to act. One day, you're going to like this, one day, one of the teachers had just entered into the shul in yeshiva, when, to his shock, he heard strange sounds coming from the Arnakodesh, where the Torah is. He went over, opened its doors, and lo and behold, there was a goat. A goat inside the Arnakodesh. Everyone knew who was behind this appalling prank. The mischievous, mischievous boy was brought before the principal to who he, he confessed the deed. Yeah, I put the goat in the Arnakodesh. On the spot, the decision was made to expel him from school. To the astonishment of all, the boy refused to budge. They tried to throw him out. He said, I'm not leaving. I am not leaving. So he stood silently rooted to the spot when the principal showed him to the door. He simply refused to leave the building. When asked what is, when asked what he wished to do, so the boy looked up at the principal and said, bring me before a Bezdin and let a Bezdin decide if you have a right to throw me out. <laughs> this kid had a good mind. Bezdin? Take me to Bezdin? Yeah, you can't throw me out of school. Without going to Besden. Okay. Principal goes, we'll go to Besden. What Besden's going to say? Keep a kid who put a goat in the Arnakodesh. Right? Okay. So, 
They all understood they would not get rid of him until they went and exceeded, until they listened to his request. So they brought him before Bezdin. So the Bezdin asked the principal, what can we do for you? And the principal said, we have this boy. He put a goat in the Arna Kodesh, and we can't keep him in school. We have to throw him out. They said, okay, we sort of understand that. Shouldn't be putting goats in, 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 in Arna Kodesh. So they asked the, ch- the child, so what do you have to say in your defense? Listen to what he said. He said, what you are planning to do to kick me out of school will affect not only me, it will also affect the children I will have in a number of years from now when I get married and have a home of my own. Did you consult with my children before you made the decision to throw me out of school? (laughs) In other words, you're about to throw me out of school, you're affecting my children, how can you throw me out out of school without, without asking them? Without getting permission from them. Because it's not just me you're throwing out of school. You throw me out of school. You're throwing all my generations out of school. And being that you didn't get permission from them, how could you do something, affect somebody, without his permission? That's what he said. So he was a kid. So the Bezin said, they would never hurt someone talk like this. And the Bezin said, I think you should keep him. This guy's going to be something one day. And they don't say who he is, but he grew up to be a big guddle. I think this is like the most amazing story. This is, the reason it's in this book, Pashat Vayera, this is the second look. This kid was saying, first look, yeah, you're right, I'm a bad guy, I put a goat in the Arna Kodesh. But if you take the second look, you come to realization of what would have happened to me, to my children and my grandchildren, if you throw me out of Yeshiva, they're going to go off the derach, they're not going to grow up in the, in the right path. So you're, you're affecting people in this world without asking them permission before you affect them. He went back to school, and I don't know who, they won't say who he became. It's not me. I didn't do this. But they, I'm not a great person anyway, but it's not me. But they wouldn't say who, they don't say who he became, but it's such godless. It's so true. It's so, so true. You have to have the third eye. You have to be able to say, what, what's in front of me, he needs some olive. Yes, it bothers me and it's on me, and, but if I want, if I want to be able to, to, if I want to be able to meet this person, I want to be able to help this person, then there has to be a second vaya. There has to be a second look. We call it the third eye. You have to be able to have the second look. Okay, I want to, I want to end tonight with an amazing story about the Holocaust. Um, this is a new safer called the Harev Noah, also written by Rav Yitzhak Zilberstein. It just came out a week ago. Um, the same one that wrote Elena Shabeach wrote this um, on the parsha. It's mainly halach on the parsha, but he brings down a story every week, and he brings down an amazing story. And with this, I'll end on on, on parsha's Vayera. So he talks about this Vayera of Hashem Mamre, and that that even though Avraham Avinu was sick and it was the third day, and and of course was Oh, by the way, before I, before I go, this is so important. There's a Rashi from last week that I want to tell you that you must hear. This is an unbelievable Rashi. Also, also the Torah is forever. It's not. It's not. I get very nervous when people say that was then and now is now because that's the whole Haskalah movie. If you read Rabbi Miller's book, the whole their whole movement was that that was then and now is now, and 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 that's what the movement in Germany and in Poland, and that's what that's what destroyed Klal and, and we cannot say that. The Torah is a living Torah, it's forever. There's a little teeny Rashi that most people don't know. 
I think it's probably the most, in my opinion, it's the most beautiful Rashi in the whole, one of the most beautiful Rashi's in the whole Torah. And again, people don't like, some people in Chil don't like that I do this. Like I said tonight that the Medrash says that, that Rachel said to Hashem, Yaakov Avinu loved me with a great love. You're not allowed to talk like that. I, I didn't write the Medrash. What do you want from me? <coughs> right? You can't use the word love with, with Yaakov Avinu and Rachel. It's, 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 it's secular and you're making it into, I, I didn't write this. It, the Medrash was written and it says, I have a rabbi. That's what it says. I didn't write this. So, so I'm not going to change it and say, that's not what he meant. The Medrash is very clear. Rachel said, I struggled and I had taiva to be with Yaakov Avinu and I worked my way out of that taiva. They, they, they were real people. We can't, we can't make them into these people that weren't real. So Avram Avinu, right? In our eyes, he wasn't like a real person. He was a very real person. There's a very interesting Rashi. So Rashi says that when Hashem told him to do the bris milah, right? So it says in Pasuk Chavdal, and at the end, Yudzayin, Avraham ben Tishim v'tesha shana, behimo lo b'sar So Avraham was 99 years old when he had a bris milah. It should have said when he gave himself a bris milah. It doesn't say that. Behimo lo, when he was circumcised. Why does it say when he circumcised himself? What does it mean when he was circumcised? Rashi says something amazing. He says, "Behi molo it's all b'saloi." He says that Avraham, not all Avraham sakin. Avraham took the knife, berotzalachatayich, and he wanted to cut to do the brismila. Bohayimisyare, and Avraham Avinu was scared. Shahayazakin, because he was old, and his hands were shaking. So Avraham Avinu was actually scared. Even though God told him to give himself a bris milah, he wasn't scared to jump into a furnace of fire. He wasn't scared to shecht his son, but he was scared to give himself a bris milah, says Rashi, because he was old. So he couldn't do it. So what happens? What a beautiful Rashi. And I got, I was, I was a, I was by Bar Mitzvah for Shabbos, and I asked, now you're going to know the answer. So I, there was a whole group there, whatever it is, and I said, who here knows when did God ever hold the hand of a human being? Sounds very Christian-like, you know. They went, that famous story where they went walking on the beach, and there was two footprints, and then there was one footprint, right? So like, so we know that Hashem spoke pe'el pe'er to Moshe Rabbeinu, right? But when did God ever hold someone's hand? I'm like, come on, Rabbi. What are you talking about? God never held anybody's hand. Yeah, God held somebody's hand. And it's a Rashi. And I got them all. And it's this Rashi. And he held Avram Avinu's hand. And listen to what it says. It says, So Hashem saw that Avram Avinu couldn't do it. Shalach Yado. Hashem sent down his hand. And he held on. He held on to Avram Avinu's hand. And that's why we say, In the morning when you daven, and he did together with him the bris. So, yes, God once, one time since creation, held a human being's hand. Whose hand did he hold? Avram's hand because it was shaking and he was old. And Avram Avinu could not do a bris meal on himself. What's going on over here? Two questions I have. One, why did he hold his hand? Why didn't he just give him the bris? Okay, Avram Avinu can't do it. Hashem, do the bris milah. And if Hashem would have done the bris milah, Avraham Avinu would have healed immediately. 
So he wouldn't have been sick for those three days. He would have been healed immediately because God would have done the bris, the operation, it would have automatically healed right away. So if God saw he couldn't do it, why didn't God do the bris? Question number two, if God saw that he was shaking, God should have said, like all the other tests, God, and this wasn't one of the, God should have said, listen, I told you to do it, what are you worried about? I'll make sure that nothing happens, that you don't get hurt. Hashem tells you to do it, what are you worried about? So, so he was worried, why was he worried? And what? And the answer is such a huge lesson. And that's why he did it this way, Hashem. And that's what this Rashi is telling us. Rashi is telling us that all of us should know that even Avram Avinu, who God spoke directly to, there was something in his life that he was scared to do. There was something that Hashem told him that, and that he felt he was old and his hands were shaking. I cannot do. So when someone feels that there's something that he's struggling with and they cannot do, don't feel that you're alone. Avram Avinu was in the same place. Don't feel like you're, uh, I'm not able. Avram Avinu was in the same place. He could not do it, says Rashi. But you need to know that if you cannot do something that God asks you to do and he sees that you want to do it, he will hold your hands. But he will not do it for you. What a Rashi. He will not do it for you. I will hold your hand and we will do it together. But I will not do it if your hand is not there. That's a very important lesson. Because some of us sit back and always have this thing with Shiduchim. Like, you know, what's my, how much do I have to do? And the answer is, if you don't sit back, that's not a Muna. Sit back, Hashem, you do it for me. Kodesh Baruch says, no, I will do it with you. He held Avram's hand, but he won't do it without Avram. He says, Avram, I don't expect you to do it by yourself, because I know that, that you're, you're, you're shaky over here. So I will come and I will hold your hand. But don't expect me to do it. We have to do it together. What a Rashi. What a lesson in Torah. That a person has to understand that when you, when there are certain things that you're struggling with, that, that you can't turn around and say, okay, God, I can't do this. You do it. He won't do it. He will not do it. You have to say, God, I'm scared, and I'm going to try to do it. I need you to help me do it. Then, of course, will hold your hands. So, yes, there was one time in the Torah that God held a human being's hand. And that's when that hand was shaking. And there's one time that God spoke to a human being's mouth. And that was a mouth that was stuttering. When a person's challenged, that's when a Baruch Hu holds your hand. That's when he talks to you, pal, pal. What a Rashi. It's a little teeny Rashi. And most people don't even know this Rashi. Little teeny Rashi at the end of the Pasha's Vayera. So if you want to get everyone at the table, ask the question to Shabbos and say, by the way, did God ever hold anybody's hand? They're going to look at you like, what book did you read? Or what did Robert Wallace say at his share? Anyway, let me just end with this, this beautiful story from the Holocaust. So, so, so it talks about Chesed, it talks about the second look. So he tells a story here that um, from somebody, I guess from Eretz Yisrael, whose name is Rav Avraham Khan. And Rav Avraham Khan talks about his father, Yomtev Hakohen Khan, who was a very wealthy member in the Jew- before the war, before World War II, in the Jewish community of Prague. And his house was gorgeous with beautiful furniture, and he had a, lo- a, bi- a large staff of domestic help that-, that kept the house clean. The custom in Prague, the custom in Europe altogether was that guests that needed a place to eat for Shabbos, so Friday night when they finished davening, they would all line up in the back, and as the people would leave, they would say, oh, you two come with me, you two come with me. That's what they used to do. So the, pre- the custom in Prague was for guests who needed a place to eat on Shabbos to stand by the door of the shul at the end of Friday night davening. As the community members left shul, each would choose a guest or two from the crowd, 
until everybody was placed with a meal. So this Rebbe Avram Khan talks about his father, Rebbe Yontavakayin, and he says, my father would deliberately wait around in shul until everybody else had left so that he could invite the guests that had been left over. He knew that most people were more inclined to invite guests with a pleasing, cleanly appearance, and the poorest and neediest were often left behind. These were the guests that my father preferred to invite to sit by a Shabbos table. Sometimes he came up with guests that were filthy and smelly from all their travels. Very often their clothes and hair were infested with lice. This reminds me of my grandmother, Roshalom, um, who, whose yard site was actually um, today. And she also always had at the table people in Manhattan who were from the street and from on benches and who smelled terribly. I remember as a kid, I couldn't sit at the table. They smelled so bad. And those were the people that she, that she always, that she always had. Anyway, so, um, very often their clothes were, and here were infested with lice. So after Shabbos, he says, my, my, my father's domestic help had a hard time cleaning the expensive furniture from the stains that were left from these guests. Why must he invite such unseemly guests, the servants would often wonder. But my mother never complained. My grandmother's name was Shprinza Basrebeliezer. Her neshama should have a takan aliyah. Her gemilas chesed was, was, was unbelievable. Many, many stories about her. Anyway, never once did I hear her ask why he could not bring home more respectable guests. In other words, sometimes a woman would say, I don't mind you bring home guests, but not with lice, and, you know, to bring them into my house. Okay. To the contrary, his mother would always commiserate with their plight and try to lift their spirits. Now listen to this, Neyudik. He says, when the, when the Nazis came to Pressburg, so his father was arrested and taken to concentration camp, and he finally arrived in a concentration called Mauthausen, which was a very bad concentration camp. And after the war, his father would always tell over this story at the table on Shabbos. And he said that the inmates of the concentration camp in this concentration camp, Mauthausen, suffered from a chronic infestation of lice that no one escaped. They slept crowded together on the same bunks while the lice crawled freely from one person to the next. So yet my father survived the entire war with ever, without ever once having been touched by a louse. The whole war never did one lice, even though he slept together with all these people, Never did one lice end up on his body. My father attributed this miracle to his having opened his home to hundreds of filthy guests without ever having raised an objection to their lice. Hashem rewarded him in an equal measure by protecting him from the lice throughout the war. Mida kinege mida. person does chesed and a person opens his house, because Baruch opens his house to that person. If a person is able to have the second look at other people and not judge them immediately then there's no he doesn't take the first look when the person does the Avera he looks at like this little boy but if this person is going to get punished how is that going to affect their children and their grandchildren and their great grandchildren if you look at every Jew with a second look then Baruch looks at you with a second look if you if you judge every Jew by the first look, then God judges you by the first look. Even though he has a second look, he doesn't give you that second look. Because everything that Kosh does is midah k'neged midah. May Kosh give Klai Yisrael all a second look. And by Yarach Lekrosam, we should be able to run to meet him in the Beis HaMikdash. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.